Hi, my name is Jeff Redding. I'm a preaching elder here at Walton Community Church in Monroe, Georgia. Before we begin the sermon, our church would like to invite you to join us as we gather every Sunday morning for worship at 10 a.m. You can learn more about our church on our website at waltoncommunitychurch.org. Thanks for listening. All right, well, howdy, WCC. It's good to see everybody this morning. Um, by the way, I say howdy as a tip of the cap to Texas A&M. Many of you know I went to Texas A&M. And when I first arrived on campus there, everybody said howdy. And I was like, what's up? You know, but, but after a while, you get on campus and you're like, howdy, howdy, howdy. So they kind of teach you that. So at A&M, they say howdy. They also say gig'em, okay? And last night, we went to a Shane and Shane concert at Hebron Baptist Church. And one of the Shanes was talking about, I don't know if you know this, Shane and Shane both went to Texas A&M. And so last night, and if you went there, you may have heard this. Last night when he was talking about going to Texas A&M, I yelled out real loud, gig them! And, and he said, yes, gig them. So he was, so it was kind of like this low-key insult, low-key mocking, um, so which is cool. So how many churches can say that their pastor's been mocked by Shane and Shane? All right? So it was fun. It was fun. All right, I'm going to do something a little bit different this morning. Uh, we're, I'm preaching a sermon series through the book of Hebrews, and we're going to continue that next week. So I would encourage you to read Hebrews 10. We're going to be in the last part of Hebrews 10 next week. But this week, what I'm going to do is, uh, is talk about just some thoughts I've had. Um, for the past month plus, I've been on a sabbatical for a number of weeks. I think the last time I preached was near the end of June. It's been great. Our family had a nice vacation at the beach. Um, And during this sabbatical time, I've had some time to think about WCC, uh, to think about our church family. So this morning, I'd like to give you some just some things that I've been thinking about with respect to our church. Okay, before we do that, let's pray again. Father, we just uh, pray that this time would be glorifying to you, uh, Holy Spirit, that you would work in our hearts. Lord, you know a prayer I've been praying lately is, Holy Spirit, just take over. Just, just take over and, and take over our speech, take over our thoughts and desires and loves and, and decisions and just uh, take over. Holy Spirit, point us to Jesus, exalt him above all, and just be glorified in our lives. And that's what I pray for myself and my, my friends here today. So, so um, be glorified, Lord. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so these are some sabbatical thoughts, and I want to talk about, as I said, I want to talk about who we are as a church. So the title of my sermon is We the Church. This is nothing earth-shattering, but I was thinking since it's the beginning of school year, we just resumed Sunday school last week, I thought it would be a good time to just, as I said, share some things that I've been thinking about. A lot of these things I have talked about before, so some of this is going to be a repeat for some of you. But uh, some of it will be new, but but I still think it's good for us to discuss and think about these things, who we are as a church every now and then. Um, Also, we've had a bunch of new folks join us recently. So again, I would just like to talk about some some things about our church. First, a couple of practical things, just real quick. One um, one is this, because we've had a lot of new folks, I was thinking, I've I've shared with the leadership about this, that that if any of y'all think an online church directory, maybe with photos so we could know each other a little bit better, if any of y'all think that that would be a good idea, I'm not going to do it, but if any of y'all want to take that on, honestly, if any of our church members want to take that on and create and and maintain a a church directory with photos, I think that that would be awesome. If any of y'all think that, let us know, okay? I'm just going to toss that out there. We can have a team to do that. 
Another practical thing, as you can tell, we're getting pretty full in here. Um, and we've got to make some decisions. And one of the things that we've decided as a church, we can't expand the church overnight. We can't plant a church next weekend. So one of the things that we're going to do to try to help accommodate growth, if we continue having growth, is to have what we're going to call an overflow room upstairs. So in that room, we're going to have a service on the television. Lord willing, we're going to have some nice sound systems so people will be able to participate upstairs in singing and and even taking the Lord's Supper, just like we do down here, okay? So we want it to be the same sort of experience in the overflow room. So what our thought is, we don't want people going up there every week, although some of you with kids may want to go up there every week. Um, But we want to have it sort of a rotation, so we're trying to, we're working through that right now. But uh, but again, this is just in case we, we continue to experience growth, we want to have some sort of plan in place. All right, those are some practical things. Let's talk about we the church. Okay, so we're thinking about what we as WCC want to be. And I've said this many times before, but I think it's important. At WCC, we want to be a church that is one, uncompromising, uncompromising in our commitment to God and his word, and two, really over-the-top loving and hospitable. And the reason I keep stressing this is because and I'm guessing your experience is similar. Most churches are either one or the other. If a church is truly committed to God and his word, they can tend to be a little bit unloving and hospitable. Not always, but sometimes. On the other hand, a lot of times churches, if they are truly loving and caring, they can have a tendency to be willing to compromise on their commitment to God's truth. And that's not what we want. We want WCC to be both. So we want to be a church first, as I said, that stands firm on the word of God. So I'm going to ask you to turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Okay, we're just going to look at a couple of verses in 1 Timothy. So it's New Testament. It's, it's uh, before you get to, it's like Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews. Before you get to Hebrews, 1 Timothy chapter 3. This court sort of be sort of a launching point for for the sermon this morning. 1 Timothy 3, we're going to begin verse 14. And Paul says this, 1 Timothy 3, 14 and 15. Paul says, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that, verse 15, he says, if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, And here's the thing I want us to think about, a pillar and buttress of the truth, okay? So first, notice Paul says the church of the living God, God's alive, God's alive. He is working, and he works through his people, he works through his church, he's a living God. Also, Paul calls the church the household of God, that's family language, the church is a household of God, the family of God, we we say we're brothers and sisters in Christ, right? We have God as our father, Abba, our dad. So we're brothers and sisters. We have God as our dad. So we're a household. We're a family of God. Also, and this is the thing that I'm I'm stressing now, is Paul says the church is a pillar and buttress of the truth. The church is, as we just sang, the church is built on the rock, Jesus Christ. He's the rock. That's where our foundation is, Jesus himself. 
But upon Christ, upon the rock, God has chosen to build his church, which is a pillar and buttress of the truth. This, this language makes you think of Greek architecture. If you think of a pillar, like a solid column, right? Solid pillar. And it's upholding something. And Paul is saying that the church is this solid pillar or column that's upholding the truth. It's upholding the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's upholding the truth to a world that's watching. This is what the church is meant to be. We're meant to uphold the truth of the gospel, like a billboard displaying the truth of Jesus Christ, that Jesus is Lord, we're to uphold this to display the truth of Christ to a watching world. And this is what we're called to be. And what I'm saying is that as a church, we want to be uncompromising in our commitment to the truth. We want to uphold the truth, be a pillar, because this is what God has called us to do. So we want to be uncompromising in our commitment to Jesus Christ, really uncompromising in that. That's what we want. But that's not all. As I said, we also want to be a church that is loving and caring and hospitable. And and the thing I think is important is we're not just to be loving just for the sake of being loving or kind or be thought of as nice or whatever. Really, our our desire to be loving is based on the character of God himself. So I'm going to ask you now to turn, we're going to flip around a little bit, turn to 1 John chapter 4. So go to the right. Almost all the way to the end of Revelation, right before Revelation is 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and then Jude. So go to 1st John 4, famous passage that's often misquoted or misapplied, but it's very important. 1st John 4, we're going to start in verse 7. 1st John 4, verse 7. It says this, Beloved. Let us love one another. Why? It's based on God. For love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God. And that's what I think about brothers and sisters in Christ who are unloving. John says straight up front, anyone who does not love does not know God. Because why? God is love. I'm going to come back to that. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God, how did he show his love? God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. And John says, the important part is not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. See what John's saying? He's saying that we ought to love one another And this love is based on the character of God himself. Our love for others is based on God's love, God's love for us in sending his own son for us. But also the fact that God is love. God is love in himself. God is triune. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And even before the universe was created, the three persons of the Trinity were in this perfect fellowship of love. So God is love. There was perfect fellowship, perfect community among the Godhead even before the universe was created. So our love for other people is based on the character of God, of who he is. This is not a minor thing because this reveals to the world who God is. And we want to accurately represent our Lord. And that's why it's important for us to be a local church who is truly loving and caring. 
So as I said, this is what we want to be as a church that's both caring and loving and uncompromising in our commitment to God and his word. And I think that's a powerful combination, okay? I think it's a very powerful combination that God blesses. This is 2 Chronicles 16.9. We have a slide on that. 2 Chronicles 16.9 says this. God's talking to King Asa here, but it applies to us as well. It says, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. What this passage is saying is that God is on the lookout for people whose heart is blameless toward him. That doesn't mean without sin, because no one's without sin, but what it means is people who are truly trusting in him, committed to him. So it's in the very nature of God to be on the lookout. Eyes of the Lord is, is working to and fro, right? Running to and fro, looking for people who are trusting in him. And when God finds those people, he wants to work in, as it says, to give strong support to those people so that his divine power will work through them in a big way. This is who God is. In other words, I think God is looking for individuals and he's looking for churches truly committed to him, who are truly committed to to his word and are truly loving and caring. And as I said, that's what we want to be as a church. And if it's God's will, we want the Lord to give us strong support, to demonstrate his divine power in us. So this is what we, the church, want to be. I've also said this many times that we want to take God very seriously, but we don't want to take ourselves seriously, okay? Although we sort of follow this somewhat, sort of a high church liturgy, we make light use of the church calendar, and Greg does a great job with that. Um, So we have sort of this liturgy, and there's a reason for it. I'm going to talk about it. In fact, Greg and and, uh, George have already alluded to it. But still, we're a very informal church, right? Our our sermon is like my sermon now. It's very conversational. It's not not stilted and sort of high, high church. Also, there's a lot of friendly conversations that go on both before and after worship services, and I love that. So we want to take the Lord very seriously, but we don't take ourselves seriously. We want that there's a winsome and joyful attitude in our church, and I want us to continue in that. And here's something I I think we need to be reminded of. As I said, we've, we've experienced a pretty good amount of growth over the past year or two, and when a church grows... One of the things that that people can start thinking is, I don't know a lot of the people in here right now. And that's one of the downsides of having growth within a church. And what it can do is it can end up stopping people from reaching out or reach out less to new people. Now, honestly, this is the, the friendliest and most welcoming church I've ever seen. It really is. But... My, my call to you is just as a warning, when lots of people, new people come in, as I said, there can be a tendency for a church to be less welcoming, and I don't want us to be that way. And the reason is, in our day, loneliness is an epidemic. It's an absolute epidemic. And when people can come into a place and they feel genuine love and care and friendliness, genuine, not fake, but real, it can be life-changing. And that's why I want our church to continue being friendly and hospitable. And so what that means is we expect WCC members and even regular visitors to be friendly, to reach out to others, to introduce yourself. You don't have to be an outgoing person to be kind or friendly, right? That can't be an excuse. But I'm so thankful because you guys are welcoming and loving. And I just, my call is I just want us to continue in that.
So let me encourage you too. If you don't know a lot of people in the church, let me encourage you. Would you be willing to take a risk to be involved and get to know other people? Would you think about showing up for, for Sunday school or, or gathering groups as Karen talked about or sign up for a small group? Uh, small groups meet, meet next weekend. We have a Felker Park thing just right over there this afternoon. Um, I'm just asking you, if you don't know a lot of folks, to take a risk and be willing to do that because it really can make a huge difference in your life. Also, we the church, and this is so important, I've talked about this a lot too, we want to be a church that, that really is emphasizing solid and deep doctrine, solid and deep doctrine, rational part of the faith, and we want to emphasize a personal, intimate, loving relationship with God through Christ. So first we want to emphasize solid and deep doctrine, the deep things of the faith. Second Peter 3.18 says this, famous passage, we've got a slide on it, Second Peter 3.18 it simply says, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we're called by God to grow in both grace and knowledge. And that means as a church, we want to teach and preach the solid, deep things of the faith, deep doctrine from the Word of God. Not, not trivial stuff, not superficial stuff, not fluff, but we really do want to teach and preach the deep truths of God. Now, we want to do that in a way that's understandable, even for, for children. We want to do that in a way that, that people can make sense of it and apply it to their lives. But we do want to be people who are committed to and really emphasize solid and deep doctrine. That's, so that's the rational part of our faith. Something else I've come to realize, this is something I just, an observation of our church, there aren't a lot of churches in our area that emphasize the deep truths of the faith like we do. If you've looked for a church, you've probably found that. And as a result, I'm kind of giving a warning here as well. As a result, our church attracts a lot of people who love the word of God, which is awesome. Our church also brings in a lot of people who have a deep knowledge of God's word, and that's absolutely wonderful. But I do want to say this, and this is so important. If you know that your biblical knowledge is lacking, if you realize you don't know much about the Bible, I want you to hear something loud and clear. Please, don't be embarrassed about that. Don't let that scare you away from anything. Don't let it scare you away from the church or, or small group or anything like that. In other words, if you see that there are people around who seem to know a ton about the Bible and you feel like you almost nothing, don't, that you, you just don't understand a lot, don't think to yourself, well, I don't want to go to Sunday school. I better not go to that Bible study because people will see that I know nothing and I'll just embarrass myself. Don't think like that, please. Because the, the important part is to grow, right? The important part is to grow, to have a desire to grow in grace and knowledge. That's what we're excited about. That's what I'm excited about, desire to grow. If you know a ton, that's fine. That's great. But what thrills my soul is not necessarily a lot, a lot of knowledge, but truly a desire to grow. That's what pleases the Lord. I was thinking about Acts 16. There's a passage that talks about Lydia, who is a seller of purple cloth. And she hears Paul and, and Luke and these other guys preaching. And her heart, the Holy Spirit opens up her heart. And she invites, she pleads with Paul and these guys to stay with her because she wants to learn. She has a desire to learn. And that's what pleases the Lord. And I can tell you personally. When I became a Christian, I was 25 years old, okay? Now think about this. Think about a 25-year-old guy. I had an engineering degree. I was about to go to law school, and I knew almost nothing about the Bible. <laughs> almost nothing. 
I wasn't raised in church. I knew almost nothing. In fact, I went out and bought a kid's picture, illustrated picture book of the Bible so that I could learn the Bible stories because I just knew nothing. But you know what? God was pleased with that. He was, he, was, he was not angry at me that I didn't know a lot. He was pleased that I had a desire to learn and know him because I wanted to learn more about the Savior who loved me. That was my desire. And so if, if any of you guys feel like you know nothing about the Bible, but, but you have a desire to learn, then praise the Lord because that brings joy to Jesus' heart, okay? So don't, don't let your lack of knowledge scare you away. Also, I've talked a lot about growing in knowledge, but we don't want to be a church that just focuses on head knowledge. Anything that we learn must go to our hearts and change our hearts and affections and the way we live and, 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 and the decisions we make. The goal is a heart change, a heart that loves Jesus. If, if the knowledge just stops in our brain, all that does is puff up. That just makes people arrogant. We want actual transformation. A heart that, that brings about more love for Christ, more love for people, and growth and holiness. And that's why I want us as a church to constantly emphasize the need for a personal, intimate, loving relationship with Jesus Christ. I want to emphasize, us to emphasize the importance of meeting with God, both individually and as a church. Because we're here to be in the presence of the Lord, to truly worship Him. This is what we're made for. We're made to be in a relationship with him and to be, have intimate relationship, not just have head knowledge, you know. And also there is a mystery of encountering God, being in his presence in a special way. This is the experiential part of the faith, understanding the mystery of encountering the Lord. And we do that when we open up the word of God. The book of Hebrews teaches us that, that when we simply read the Bible, the Holy Spirit is talking to us. He's speaking to us. When we partake of the Lord's Supper, Christ meets with us through his spirit in a wonderful and mysterious way. When we praise him, when we sing songs to him, when we hear his word read and preached, God is meeting with us in a special way. So there's a rational part of our faith, the knowledge part, and there's the experiential part of our faith, the mystery of simply being in the presence of God. And both of these are so important. And I'll say this, and I don't want to sound overly critical, but the fact is, nowadays, most churches don't do either one. There's actually no, very little deep study about the doctrines of the faith, and they don't really have an encounter with the living God. For a lot of churches, the worship service is more, and I'll talk more about this in just a second, but a lot of churches, the worship service is more of a production. It's a performance. It's a show. I've said this before. A lot of church services are nothing more than a concert and a TED Talk. And that's not what we want for WCC. So again, we want to emphasize the rational, deep doctrine, rational part of our faith, and the importance of having this personal, intimate, loving relationship with our God. Okay? So these are, these are things that are important to us as a church. And what the, the bottom line is really this. We just want to grow as disciples of Jesus Christ. To grow in our love for the Lord, to grow in holiness, to grow in love for other people. And when that happens... God is glorified, God is honored, he's exalted, and we're transformed. All right, now I want to talk briefly about our order of worship, and I'm glad both, both Greg and George mentioned this. It's been a while since I've talked about this, and we've got a lot of new people. So I think it's good to remind ourselves about why we do some of the things we do. It's going to be very brief. But 
One thing about our time of worship that's different from most churches is there's more participation by the congregation. You may not realize this, but prior to the 20th century, almost all church services were very participatory. Congregational singing was important. Responsive readings were important. I mean, you can look at church hymnals. It doesn't matter if it's Baptist, Presbyterian, Methodist, Episcopalian, whatever. You can look at the back of those and find responsive readings. There was lots of congregational singing. The entire congregation was very involved. And what, what churches understood back then was that by participating in worship, the congregation was being transformed by the Holy Spirit. They understood this, okay? That's why participation is important because the Holy Spirit moves through that. In the 20th century, things began to change and churches began to think about worship services more as performances and more about entertainment. And more and more, the people up front were thought of as performers and the congregation was thought of as an audience, more of a passive audience. In fact, I've heard celebrity preachers refer to the audience. They, they don't, they, they'll often not use the word congregation or church. They'll use the word audience. Now, that's, it sounds like a minor thing, but it's not a minor thing. Why do they use that word audience? Because they think of the church service as a performance. Oftentimes, churches are very dark, right? It's light up on stage. Everything is focused up here. You're singing. You can't even hear other people sing. You hear the, the pros up here singing. And our church is not like that. We, the church, we want our times of worship to be participatory, where the congregation is very involved. And the goal is transformation. And we're not interested in being a church that has a passive audience. We're not interested in having a church that wants to be entertained. And that's one of the reasons why the congregation is so involved in our worship services. So together we sing, and we can actually hear each other sing. We're involved in the call to worship, the corporate confession, the reading of Scripture, saying the Lord's Prayer together, taking the Lord's Supper together, singing doxology, all these things, okay? And it's a lot of participation compared to most churches, and I love it. And I also love this, that over time you'll see that our children and grandchildren, as they participate in this, you'll notice that kids who attend WCC will learn things like the Lord's Prayer very quickly. It doesn't take a long time. And that, again, I think this is pleasing to our Lord. You may notice the word in the phrase order of worship or order of service that we talk about. I'm going to ask you to turn to Colossians. Turn, turn left if you've got your Bibles out. Colossians chapter 2. So 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians. Colossians Chapter 2, verse 5. Colossians 2, verse 5. Paul says this, For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your, and look at this phrase, your good order, your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Paul is writing to, this is a little church plant in Colossae. This is in the Lycus River Valley in Turkey. And Paul says to this little church plant, he says, I rejoice to see two things. One, the firmness of your faith in Christ. And two, your good order. We're going to be talking a lot about faith in Hebrews. But look, look at, let's focus on that phrase, your good order. That word order, it's the Greek word taxon, and it's a military term, order. 
What Paul is saying here is, is he's talking like an army or battalion, he's saying is an effective fighting unit only if it's orderly, if it's disciplined. God is a God of order. You can look around creation and see that, that the way God has made creation, it's actually amazing how he has built order into the universe. It's incredible and it's beautiful. And because this is how God made the world, what this means is for for individuals and organizations to thrive, in order for families to thrive, there must be order. Otherwise, there's disorder and chaos. And disorder is not good. If someone has a mental disorder, that's not a good thing, right? Disorders are problems. And order is good. And having things rightly ordered, that's a good thing. So order is necessary to thrive, whether it's organizations, schools, businesses, fighting units, whatever, they all must be disciplined and orderly if they're going to thrive. Well, the same goes for the church. So Paul commends this little church at Colossae for being orderly. And that's why God-honoring churches throughout history have conducted their worship services in an orderly, structured way. Chaos and disorder is not pleasing to God. It's not consistent with who he is. Now, it doesn't mean that, church, that services should be robotic or rote where people are just going through the motions. That's not pleasing to the Lord. The Holy Spirit needs to be active. And here at WCC, we want the Holy Spirit, we want to give the Holy Spirit room to move and work in people's hearts. But the Holy Spirit doesn't move through chaos and disorder. In fact, chaos and disorder are really barriers to the Holy Spirit. So as Paul says here in Colossians 2.5, the church is to be orderly. And that's one of the reasons why typically churches have a structure order in the worship service. So, so that's why we do the things that we do. God has made us creatures of habits, and habits can be bad, but good habits are really good. And one of the things that, good, that, that having a structured order of worship does, it creates good habits in people. Okay? And that's one of the reasons why the structure of our order of worship is basically the same each week. We don't use the same verses. We don't have the same readings each week. But, but the structure, the elements of the service are all the same. And what this does is, is it allows us to focus on God and not on the, the service. This is a quote from C.S. Lewis, and we have a slide on it. And I've lightly edited it to make it more understandable. But Lewis says this. He, said, he says, novelty can, have, can only have an entertainment value. And we don't go to church to be entertained. A worship service works, he says, works best when we don't have to think about it. You aren't dancing as long as you have to count the steps. If you're counting the steps, you're not dancing, but only learning to dance. He says the perfect church service would be one where we were almost unaware of, would be one we're almost unaware of. Our attention would have been on God. But novelty prevents this. It fixes our attention on the service itself, and thinking about worship is a different thing from worshiping. And that is so true. Our focus needs to be on God, not on some new or different thing. As I said, that's why basically the basic structure of our order of worship is the same every week. We don't want to be thinking about worshiping. We want to actually worship the Lord. And so as I said, we have the same elements, and the elements of our, of our worship service are very similar to those that were, meet, that were found in churches immediately after the Protestant Reformation and for the hundred, hundreds of years after that. So guys like Martin Luther, John Calvin, and other reformers designed 
the orders of worship that are very similar to the, the way we have our order of worship. There's a reason for everything we do. And the beauty of this order of worship that the Protestant reformers were passionate about, the beauty of this order of worship is that really, I don't know if you notice this, but we act out the gospel, the drama of the gospel, every week. So we have this call to worship. It's God who calls us here. You may not even realize that God is calling you to himself, but he is. It's God who calls us. But then this presents a problem because we're sinners and God is holy. And, and so now, during the service, we have this act where we're called by God, but now there's this crisis, sort of, because sinful people come into the presence of God. There's this tension, this crisis, because God is holy and we're sinful. But then we confess our sins. We have a time of confession, both corporately and silently. Then we hear the assurance of pardon, which is the gospel, which is what Jesus has done for us on the cross, because Jesus died the death that we deserve, we receive forgiveness. And we hear this assurance of pardon. So we hear the gospel. Because of our gracious Lord Jesus, we're forgiven. So the condemnation is removed. The fellowship of the Father has been restored and we experience joy. And now with the weight removed, we're welcomed by God. We're joyfully welcomed into his presence. All these things are happening. We praise him. We hear him speak to us. We, we fellowship with him at the Lord's table. All these things are happening, okay? So by doing these things, by, by having this habit of, of, of engaging in the same sort of thing every, every time we gather together, what we're doing is begging the Holy Spirit to, to take these practices and transform our hearts and the way that we think about ourselves, about our need to confess and our need to, to put our faith in Christ on a daily basis, to die to self every day and to look in faith to Jesus every single day. And that's what we want to do. Okay, so that's why we do the things that we do on Sunday mornings. Now I want to close with this. I'm about done. But we're thinking about we the church. And our vision statement says WCC exists to glorify God by proclaiming and demonstrating the gospel of Jesus Christ, reaching out in love and hospitality, and engaging the culture with God's truth. And I'm going to focus on that last part. As a church, we want to engage the culture with God's truth. As a former agnostic, this is my heart, for WCC to be a church that truly reaches out to skeptics, to our non-Christian friends, and for us to be people who are willing to engage with the truth of God's word, willing to have open and real conversations with non-Christians. That's what we want to be as a church. As I said, I was an agnostic, I was very hostile to Christianity, but now my life has been transformed by the truth about who God is, about who Jesus is, and how much he loves us. And I'm not the only one who's been transformed by God. This room is filled with people who have been transformed by the love of Christ. And so to our non-Christian friends, I want to say this, honestly, I'll say this. I'm not offended by hard questions about the faith. You may think I'm weird, but I enjoy hard questions about the faith. I like talking about them. I'm not offended or scared about having open and real conversations with skeptics. I love those conversations, honestly. And if you are a skeptic, I would love to hear your thoughts about what you believe, your thoughts about Christianity, about the church, because I know everyone's unique. And I know that beliefs are formed in the context of a person's life story. Simply because a person is a skeptic doesn't mean they all believe the same things or have the same emotions or anything. 
Also, I've found that a lot of times, what I've found, and I was this way as a skeptic, oftentimes skeptics are very certain about what they're against, but they don't really know what they're for. They don't really know what they believe or why they believe it. I've also noticed that through experience with bad churches, non-Christians have real misunderstandings about Christianity, and I get that. And so, I I just want to say this. If you're a skeptic, or maybe you were raised in the church and you left, or maybe you're not sure what you believe, here's my invitation. Yes, you know what? I want you to turn to Jesus right now. That's what I want. I want you to turn in faith to Jesus. I beg you to do that. I want it to happen now. But from my own experience, I also understand this can take time. Learning about who God is. Learning about the purpose for your life. This can take time, and we want to be patient with that. So to our friends who may be skeptics, I would simply invite you to commit to learning about the Christian faith. And I don't think you're going to find a better place to do that than here at WCC. Because what you're going to get at WCC is a historic Christian faith, biblical Christianity. That's what you're going to get here. And as I've talked about, we really want to be a church that's loving and caring. So to our skeptic friends, non-Christian friends, I would invite you to come to church every week. Come to Sunday school. Get to know people here. Be willing to study the Bible. Be willing to talk to me or others about your, your questions, even your hard questions. In other words, I want to invite you to explore Christianity, to make a real effort to explore the faith. Because as I said, as a church, we want to be people who are welcoming and loving even to skeptics, maybe especially to skeptics, right? And here's our motivation, and many folks in here will tell you this. There is simply nothing better than knowing that you are truly loved by God. There's simply nothing better than knowing that you are truly loved and forgiven by God through Jesus Christ. There's nothing better than knowing that your life has meaning. There's nothing better than knowing, and this is the way I was, I didn't even know Jesus was pursuing me. He was. And when you realize he's been pursuing you throughout your life, even when you didn't give a rip about him or give two, two thoughts about him, when you realize that he's been pursuing you and he's loved you and known you, even when you didn't know he was there, he's been pursuing you. There's nothing better than knowing that. And knowing that death has no claim on you. And knowing that what awaits you on the other side of the grave is joy and love for eternity. Because there is an eternal God who loves you. There's nothing better than knowing that all of your sins are forgiven forever because of Jesus. And who knows, maybe God is calling you to himself. And maybe he's calling you through this church. So what we want to say, it may take time, but my prayer is that you'll hear his voice when he calls and you'll respond in faith. Because I can tell you this, Jesus always welcomes those who turn to him in faith. He will never turn you away. And bottom line, that's what I want for you. That's what we as a church want for you, to meet Jesus and trust him with your life. There's nothing better than that. Nothing comes close. We're about to sing a song, and it goes like this, and this is my prayer. This is my prayer that all of us could say this. I don't have to sing it. You know, I don't have to sing it. I can't say it. It goes like this, and we're going to sing this, but it says, Hallelujah, all I have is Christ. Right? Hallelujah, Jesus is my life. Amen. That's what we want for you. Amen. Amen. Let's pray.
Our Father and our God, we love you and praise you. God, I thank you for my brothers and sisters in here. I thank you for my brothers and sisters. I pray that we would love one another and love you. Thank you for my church family. They're so encouraging to me. I can look out on their faces. They're just encouraging and joyful, and I'm so thankful for them. And God, we also pray. I thank you for our non-Christian friends, our skeptics who may be in here now. And I pray that we would be a church who reaches out in love to them. I pray that we would be a church who is welcoming and is willing to have difficult conversation and, and engage our, our skeptic friends with your truth and love them through it. And I pray that you would work, be willing to work and want to work in us in a big way, Lord, to bring people to yourself. So I pray that this place would be a place where we can just be real with you and deal with difficult questions and that it would lead us to trust in you, Jesus, and that you would be our life, that everything we have would be found in you. We would know that and know the joy of that. So we pray for, for our both Christians and non-Christians, that, that all of us would be transformed by you and that all of us would eventually look to you in faith and rejoice in who you are, Jesus, and what you've done for us on the cross. And we would realize just that nothing is better than knowing you and being loved by you. We praise you and love you. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.